Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, it sounds like you're on a, a telephone line. What is it? What is a telephone? I'm, I'm not familiar with these telephones. What, what do those do? Well, I'm having to call in because the whole world has gone to shit and <laughs> i gotta stay in touch with our fans man i know it was very important for you to get your voice heard i hadn't even taped i taped a solo episode of retro wrestling podcast extra about a month ago but you haven't been on the air with me since well like january it feels like it feels like decades ago it feels like uh years ago that we were last on the air together so welcome back i uh I wish I could have gotten you on the air in better audio quality. I'm in a radio station right now uh, recording you, and despite having all these great audio boards and all these other ways, I only know one studio that I can do a Skype call in and get you in better audio quality, and someone's in that studio. So I went to three other studios, and this is the best I could do is get you to call on your telephone so you're doing a phoner. Yeah, so I've I've heard I've really heard worse podcasts done before. I've heard where both guys have been on the phone before, so I know audio quality is a lot of I sound great cuz I'm on a very expensive microphone in a radio studio, but uh so please forgive Patrick's uh, audio quality. I I would try to do better and if I was actually at home it might even sound better. So this is just the way it is. 2020 has been a very uh Strange year for me, uh, indeed. Outside of the podcast, the start of the year, I had my my radio gig was cut down significantly, where I was working uh, five days a week at the radio station. Now I'm down to one day a week for five hours, so I don't have access to this equipment a lot. So that's why uh, it's been kind of hard for me to even do podcasts in general because I like this. I like having the nice. Equipment. It's at my home. I just have my Blue Yeti microphone and my computer. So I thought that was going to be the craziest thing that happened to me in 2020, but uh, I was uh, I was quite wrong in that yeah, assumption. It has gotten a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, a whole lot worse. Apparently, people's getting sick like crazy because they haven't heard from me enough. Oh, is that? Are you identifying? This is very dangerous of you to identify a cause of COVID nineteen being not hearing referee Patrick Young on a wrestling podcast every single week. I I think that's pretty dangerous. I don't know that that's the cause of COVID nineteen. It is very bad. It is very bad. We haven't gotten together because I do have a public job where I am around a lot of people, and I don't know whether they have been exposed or not. And to that aspect, the chances of me being exposed are much higher than normal people. And because of that fact as well, I just don't want to take a chance on giving it to you or anyone in my family or anyone thus and so. So it's kind of, it's, it's hard. We can't get together because of the situation. So we're just trying to make do with what works the best temporarily. And so... This is it. Also, in the last few months, like you were so busy with your job. I explained this on the last podcast I did by myself is that even though you're actually exposed, you are actually exposed to people that potentially carry the virus, but I also have a job that's labeled essential. So while there's 30 million Americans out of work, you and I have been deemed essential employees. And so 
we've been reporting to work every day. We're very fortunate in that way, but also at the same time, it can be scary because you don't know where your coworkers have been or where the people coming into your building have been. And right. So and I'm I'm hand in hand with positive COVID patients, and uh, it, it gets rather scary from time to time in regards to that of handling with people that do in fact guarantee have it and trying to help them get better as well as move forward. And not to mention that we're both in our thirties, which we're not really the high risk group, but we do have our parents and people around us that are older that have pre existing conditions. That's the part that worries me is that not so much for myself because uh, yeah, uh, I'm not too worried about myself, even though I pre- this is the time when you don't want to find out you have a pre-existing condition or an underlying condition, because that's that's something I think that's gone kind of untalked about is that uh, they say all these people with underlying conditions. Well, if you don't go to the doctor all the time, you might not know you have a heart condition or something like that. So this is not the right. time to find out. But it's the people that I definitely do know, like like my dad a few years ago had a stent put in his heart. So he had a heart attack, a very minor heart attack. So he's at risk. And so I don't want to bring anything to him. I would feel immensely guilty the rest of my life thinking that I possibly infected him with something or uh, my mom has lupus and uh, so there's just tons of it's it's the other people that I'm worried about it's not really myself and so my mom is battling cancer and so uh, with a lot of other health issues and so it's a very dangerous situation I haven't been able to be around my mother Uh, I don't want to get around you obviously for you know known reasons and uh it's just a very it's a very strange sad situation and uh but i it is getting better you just have to have faith you have to stay stay strong and tough not to mention like when all this started to really break out in the united states i mean really to me when it became real i mean i know that like it was in china in december and uh, the in Seattle in January and stuff like that, but it became real to me is when the NBA canceled that game, and that's when everything for some reason sports dictated when this became serious is when the NBA sent the players off the court and canceled the season, and it was like that same week in March that your mom had a major operation, and so you are at home now with the, with your mom who's vulnerable, and this this terrible thing is breaking out. So that that's I was even stressed out for you. So that's another reason we didn't get together in March is just because I mean there was just so many things going on. It was it was insanity. It's it's a very sad situation. Unfortunately, people are suffering. Um, we we all keep hearing the negatives of this, the negative, the negative, the negative. We're up to this count of people. We're up to this count of deaths now. We're up to this and we're up to that. But we're, what we're not hearing on the news, sadly, is there is uh, triple the amount of people that are getting better. We're not hearing, we're only hearing the negative side of all this. There is a much higher positive side of all this so uh as long as you're not in one of those serious serious categories there are people there was a 101 year old lady okay who knows she did not have any health problems she was just a 101 who got this and beat it it's bad yes 
but there is a upside. There is a way of being able to handle this and to take care of it. And that's all it is. We just got to stay strong. We got to stay vigilant and simple hygiene. I mean, take your, take your showers, all that stuff. Wash your hands. If you go to take a shit and wipe your ass, wash your hands. It's not that simple. I would have thought you learned <laughs> this by now. I would have thought you learned this growing up, but some apparently have not. And, uh, but here we are. Some of the uh, the toll of this has been a little undercounted because you have people that they're at home and they're sick with something else or they have chest pains or something else. They're not going to go to the hospital because the hospital's dangerous, and so now they're going yeah. to they're going to get sick and die at the at home. So indirectly, this is hurting more people as well. So that, it is. It is. It's that, that, very. It's very serious to be going to the hospitals right now because. All hospitals, as you know, or you may not know, are uh, taking temperatures and handling of every single person who steps through the doors or even before they get to the doors as potential carriers. So, and we're, we have to do that now. We have to. Well, it's, a, it's a safety precaution for everyone involved, for people at the hospital, for other employees, for other patients, for... It's just a safety thing all the way around that's having to be handled. And also, I think the the fact that people can't have guests with, you know, come in, if they, if they need an emergency operation or something, they can't have a guest in there. So that's a very scary yeah. thing, too, is to not have anybody you know in the room or yeah. in the waiting room for you, so... Uh, it's just um, a, it's pretty bad. Pretty some bad. hospitals are saying no to guests completely. Then there are some that are, if it is known that unfortunately you're not going to make it, they're allowing a couple of people to come in and say their goodbyes. But even then, that's well, that good. sounds bad. So if you have a guest, that that's not good news for you. <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, that is the truth. This is just bad all the way around. Our grandchildren are going to be talking about, you know, we talk about the the black plague and things like that. Well, this is kind of our generation's version of it. And it's scary. But like I said, you just got to stay positive because there is an upside. There is a backhand of this that is going to make everything so much better as long as you stay positive and you stay vigilant on just the simple things that you have to do. The day in the United States when this became real was, uh, to me anyway, that where it became a nationwide thing and not just in these hot spots like New York City and out in California, high density places, was when the NBA suspended their season, suspended games, suspended they just they threw in the towel, and then every sports league followed them, except for one sports entertainment league, Patrick, and that's the WWE. It's yeah. really incredible. It's just kind of mind-blowing to me that, I mean, we've seen this company do really questionable decisions before, where when it comes to Saudi Arabia... When it comes to the way they... The only good thing, if you could find a good... A good part of this is the fact that now WWE is not able to travel to Saudi Arabia or do business with them because <laughs> of all this going on. If yeah. you could find a inner lining in the shithole of everything that's happening, 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a wrestling fan, that is it. Usually that second event happens in November, so by then it might be okay to go there. So we're going to really find out how low they can go. If this is still an ongoing thing in November and they go there, then, I mean, I I just, this company never ceases to, Vince McMahon never ceases to amaze me with his stubbornness and his uh, dedication to to, to putting on the show no matter what. It doesn't matter. And just like they did with uh, September 11th many years ago, where they would spend, I mean, they spent years saying, hey, we were the first thing back after 9-11. So in years from now, they'll say, hey, we're the only thing that didn't stop. We never stop. We don't stop for shit. Like, it, it's just crazy to me that of all the things, of all the essential businesses that, you know, needed to continue... WWE somehow continued, <laughs> and uh, for for better or worse, I mean, some people will say, "Well, this is great; it provides a distraction uh, on Mondays and Friday nights and Wednesday nights." I mean, they're still doing all their TV. To me, it's like, is this really necessary when you have such a good production team? When when we see what you do on the network with documentaries like the Edge documentary, or with like the Stone Cold interviews with like rick flair and undertaker you can do other programming you don't have to put on wrestling matches it's not not that tough but yet here we are doing empty arena shows in the performance center it's very strange to me let's just jump right into it because that was my one beef we're gonna go off topic here for a second but um wrestlemania it was shit it was terrible it was horrible and that's not against any of the performers that is not against them they did their absolute best okay but i cannot stress this enough to be in that ring as a performer even myself as a referee whether you are a manager referee valet wrestler whatever you feed off of the crowd that's what makes a match that's what makes a good match if you don't have that crowd into it then you're doing something wrong if you don't have that, you know, if that crowd's going crazy, then, you know, man, I've got them. It's working. Let's keep going. I mean, you feed off of a crowd. That's what wrestling is. And unfortunately, you couldn't have that. And it sucks. It made uh, WrestleMania quite shitty. And I feel so horrible for all these guys and gals that went out there and gave it their all and did their job, and they tried their best to pull off what they had to work with. Uh, but as of right now, it just it didn't work. Like I said, that's nothing against them. The worst part, the worst, worst, worst part about WrestleMania is the fact that Drew McIntyre, okay, who has busted his ass from getting fired and laid off, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, him battling back, him, he just fought and fought and fought. And he was the Kofi Kingston spot. And uh, I believe 1,000% it was deserved. And it sucks for him that this shit had to happen at this particular moment because he didn't get that moment that I truly believe WrestleMania-wise he deserves. WrestleMania originally scheduled to happen in Tampa the first Sunday of April, and in addition to running it in the Performance Center, which I think was the wrong call, I think that postponing it, because not only are you talking about having no audience there, because like you and I have discussed, comedy 
comedy and pro wrestling are a lot similar in that you need an audience there. If I if I'm telling jokes to an empty room, there's no timing, there's no punchlines, there's no there's no feedback, there's nothing to comedy and pro wrestling are very similar in that way where other sports aren't really so much. Baseball isn't isn't really determined by audience participation. Baseball like if they come back and play in empty stadiums, which they've done before. They did it a few years ago in Baltimore. They played one game in an empty stadium. There's not much difference there. I, I hate to say it, but it's not something where the performers are actively trying to engage the crowd. And so I think it was the wrong call to have it in an empty performance center. And also the damage that it did to the, the Tampa economy. I mean, most of these cities that host WrestleMania usually give the WWE tax breaks or give them incentive to come there. In addition to that, WrestleMania weekend has become the biggest weekend for independent promoters. So in addition to taking away WrestleMania by just post, if they had postponed it until November or December or whenever and just said, we're just going to put it off. They could still line the pockets of all those independent promotions. As crazy as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds, if you had just skipped, skipped and said, you know what, we're going to make up for this. We're going to come back bigger and badder and we're going to do this all over again. Come next year, come next WrestleMania. We're just going to skip it this year. When you do come back the following year at Tampa, Man, you have you have your cream of the crop, best of the best. Bring, you know, give us Sting and Taker. Give us, you can make this the biggest build for WrestleMania because you, you have a whole nother year to feed off of. I, I think that that was a bad call. Yeah, they just don't know how to do long-term storytelling or how to press pause on these storylines. And so, by God, we got to do it. You know, we got to do it. We got to send Goldberg out there. It's the saddest Goldberg entrance of all time in the empty performance center (laughs) where he just walks out, gets hit with fog machines or whatever. And you mentioned Drew McIntyre. That was also a very, like, if he had had that match with Brock at Tampa in Raymond James Stadium, it would have actually been a match. I I, I, yeah. I imagine Brock phoned it in, but like with the Goldberg and Braun Strowman match, okay, I understand Goldberg's limited. He can do two moves, and he can't do one of them because Braun Strowman's a fucking massive man. Okay, so that match is going to be like that. But Brock Lesnar's match doesn't have to be like that, but it was. It was the same match. Brock's going to do two moves, and Drew's going to do two moves, and... That yeah, that's what really sucked to me is that in addition to not having the moment in front of the crowd, he didn't even have a good match to to get the belt well, because it was just so basic. Because Brock and Goldberg and all those guys were probably just like, "Get me the hell out of here! Uh, I want to go in here and get the hell well, out of here and go back home." As shitty as it was, I cannot pass up Edge and Randy Orton tore the house down. No, see, you like that match. I didn't like that match because of how long it was. It's the second longest match in WrestleMania history behind the Iron Man match. I enjoyed the hell out of that match. I really did. To me, it it was just a tour of the performance center, but... And Taker and AJ was match of wrestlemania of the i'm not saying match of the night because there was two nights i'm saying that was match of wrestlemania now the wyatt funhouse 
I hated. I enjoyed both the uh, cinematic pre-recorded on location matches. I enjoyed the Undertaker one, I think, a little bit more because it was more cheesy, campy, easy to follow. But after watching the Wyatt match a second time, I appreciated it more because it was a culmination of a, of a storyline that really was uh, six years in the making from WrestleMania 30, where if you go back to New Orleans, where we were, <laughs> WrestleMania we attended, yeah, I think Cena should have lost that match to Bray Wyatt. I think yeah. WrestleMania 30 and WrestleMania 31 did Bray Wyatt no favors because he lost to Undertaker at 31, where Undertaker's streak wasn't on the line anymore or anything, so there was nothing to be gained there. When they could have had Undertaker and Sting that year out in California, and at 30, he lost to Cena, where Cena doesn't... After 29 and Rock Cena 2, does Cena need to win anymore at WrestleMania? I'm not sure. I just think that he's sort of there to put people over. I just sort of think that was the peak, was Rock Cena 2, because... What does he have to gain from beating up-and-comers like uh, at WrestleMania 30, he beat Bray Wyatt, and at WrestleMania 31, he beat Rusev. So he he totally stifled the momentum of these two potential superstars. And that's what I liked about the Wyatt match, the Fiend match at WrestleMania 36, is it kind of acknowledged that sort of stuff and also kind of rewrote history in its own way it was i didn't i wasn't too big into the nwo stuff at the end because if i was a young viewer when i say young you could be 20 years old or 19 years old and, and you have no idea you've never seen nitro you don't know who eric bischoff is so to put those clips in and hollywood hogan and all that shit like that was fan service to us sure but like if i was I'm trying to go back to like 1998 and imagine them doing something from 1987 or uh, 86 or something and putting it on there. Or, or well, 20 years. So it would be something from 1978 and 1998 wouldn't really cor- correlate with me as a wrestling fan. So I thought the last segment of that Wyatt match was, I got it, but I just don't know how well that would do with younger fans, which that's the whole point of this thing is to make new fans. They still can't figure that part out, but... No, they can't. The one good thing I'll say about this year's WrestleMania is that they split it up over two nights because I couldn't have done seven hours of this. Uh, I The three hours each night or whatever it was, three and a half, that was acceptable to me because the last few years, really the last, uh, going back to WrestleMania 32 probably, the Dallas year, which was a terrible WrestleMania, Every year has been longer and longer, and it's all been on one day. So I appreciated them splitting it up because I, and I think going forward, that should be something they keep. That's the one idea of this year's WrestleMania, I think, that they should keep moving forward. In addition to Drew McIntyre not getting his moment, I mean, you're talking about, uh, you mentioned Edge's match earlier. This was his big comeback match, was to be in a fucking empty performance center in Orlando. I know they did the Rumble, okay, so technically it wasn't his first in-ring return, but still, I mean, they did that whole documentary on him. This would have been a massive reaction in 70,000 people, and instead he's 
brawling through the boardroom and backstage area of the performance center and so that's kind of sad to me uh the match also just that i think the match too the pacing of it it has more to do with orton because orton just always so slow he's just so slow so uh i wasn't big onto that to me the actual the best match of the weekend was the ladder match i would either put the ladder match or the Kevin Owens Seth Rollins match where Kevin Owens did a dive off the WrestleMania sign. Okay, that was move of move of the event. Yes. I 1000% agree with that. But other than that move, I didn't much care for the match. It had that weird restart in the middle of it. I hate it when they restart matches or whatever. Um so yeah, to me, the latter match was actually the best match of the night, and unfortunately, Jimmy Uso apparently tore his ACL and MCL in that match, so one half of the Usos is going to be out for a year, uh, probably. And when one of them's out, the other one seems to not get any work, so bad news for Jay as well, so uh, bad news for the Usos there. But I enjoyed... They put way too much work into that match for a match in front of nobody because when Morrison took that bump off the the ladder that didn't break, it's just like, ow. I mean... Yeah, that's true. A triple threat for the tag titles because Miz was sick, so uh, very weird circumstances in addition to the already empty arena. I will say this. I mean, this this takes the place of WrestleMania 2 as the strangest WrestleMania they ever did. Uh, it also... <laughs> It also exceeded my expectations because I had such low, I couldn't get much lower expectations. And I thought the Boneyard match and the the Firefly Funhouse match exceeded my expectations in addition to a couple other highlights from the show. Uh, So to me, it was actually, I would give it a thumbs up, even though it's going to, I will never probably go back and watch any of it outside of maybe the Boneyard or the Wyatt match because of how unique they are. Uh, But to me, I'm going to have to give it a thumbs up. (laughs) Someone told me that WWE is selling dirt from the Boneyard match. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think on Shop Zone, they've got uh, just how they would do pieces of the mat or whatever they've got pieces of the dirt or something like that so yeah absolutely you can trust them they're a very reputable company uh when it comes to nothing nothing says like a great piece of fan favorite memorabilia like dirt that they could have just dug up out in vince's backyard well it was just like when we got the video game a couple years ago and it was like oh we got the rick flair edition and uh, it comes with a piece of the robe Turns out you and I got the same piece of the rope. How does that fucking happen, Patrick? That seems very <laughs> odd to me that we got the same exact piece of this robe and that they they could cut his robe into, I don't know, a half million pieces. That seems very weird to me. But uh, Or the pieces of the ring, all that stuff. There's a lot of memorabilia I can get behind. I know you're the proud recipient of, the new mil- of a million-dollar title belt you got in the mail. But there's... Uh, there's some memorabilia, like the pieces of the ring or the ring skirt or random shit like that, that I will never, ever understand. Like, I just, and I don't believe it for a second because I just know how this is done. I mean, give me a break, guys. So, limited one of five million. So, uh, it's one of a kind. Because of the pandemic, there's been a lot of company cutbacks across every industry. 
even the hospital industry, where you would think, well, why would they fire anybody? This is the time they would have everybody there. This is their moment to shine. Even they're laying people off because they can't do elective procedures. It's hit every industry. And then, unfortunately, what's happening, though, is that companies that wanted to make cutbacks anyway are, are using this as their scapegoat so that they don't have to look their employees in the eye that they were going to let go anyway because of other mistakes, like uh, a company that I'm very familiar with let six people go uh, at the end of March, put it on the pandemic, but it's pretty obvious that we were having troubles before, but this was just an excuse to go ahead and make those cuts. And so I understand that for... If you have to make cuts, if you're a mom-and-pop restaurant, you're not making a lot of money, uh, and you have, I don't know, you, say you have five staffers. Two of them are you and your spouse that run the place, okay? So you got to let your staffers go, because you don't have a lot of You don't have any work for them to do, okay? I understand that. But when you're a company like WWE, that is a publicly traded company uh, worth millions and millions of dollars, maybe even a billion, I'm not sure of their last company valuation, they're money source, their revenue source, is TV rights deals that are guaranteed and that were signed two years ago and that were put in place a year ago by Fox for SmackDown and NBC Universal for NXT and Raw. And they're still getting, I mean, they house shows were a money loser for them. TV rights deals is what was, is, is they're not losing any money. And in in a weird way, this pandemic actually saved them money because now they don't have to run house shows. Now they don't have to take their TV crew across the country. Now they don't have to do anything. They can stay in one spot. They've reduced their cost. It's Nitro at um, at Disney. They understand. I mean, this is NWA, basically. That's just tape and do live shows sometimes from the same spot and... So it saved them money, even though that's not how they would want to do things. Uh, but So they're not losing money. And so it made it very difficult for me when uh, they released a lot of superstars, despite having no money issues whatsoever and having no problems with anything upcoming, because a lot of people thought, okay, when they, when they released all these people... Well, maybe in the conference call, because their quarterly conference call was coming up, maybe there's something with their TV contracts. Maybe there's something we don't know about that they're they're imploding. And they need to cut these people. Uh, but they cut all these independent contractors who had no benefits anyway. Uh, they, they cut wrestlers. They cut agents. And it was one of the worst days, uh, probably, in, as far as releases in company history. They had done this. Uh, a few years ago, it was seemingly every year they cut like five or six people. But then they stopped completely, and they ballooned their roster, where we've talked about it before, Patrick. They were up to 300-something performers. And between NXT, Raw, and SmackDown, and uh, there's just not enough time for everybody. So, And it, was also, it, was, it also went back to Vince McMahon in the 80s when he bought up all the talent 
just to fuck over his competition. And this was even before he started scooping all this talent up before AEW even existed. So, I mean, this was bound to happen sooner or later. But it just, it really sucks for these performers because now they have nowhere to go, really. There's no, it's, it, a lot of other promotions aren't running shows right now. So, right. they're just cut. They have no benefits. They have no, it's not like they get severance pay. They're just, goodbye. Good luck to well, you. Yeah. I mean, Maria and Mike Kanellis just had a newborn and both of them were let go. And so now they have no health insurance. They have no anything for this. And they have a brand new born baby that's, what, two months old? Well, and they had also, though, been disgruntled with the company and wanted their release. No, they wanted it before a pandemic broke out. I'm sure they probably changed their mind when they realized, okay, we can't work anywhere. This also isn't like the days of old where it was like, if you don't work, you don't get paid because downside guarantees. They were still getting a paycheck when they're not working so even if you're not using them they get a basic you know living expenses covered so that's it's just heartbreaking really for a lot of these wrestlers some of them did want out but yeah they definitely did want out under these conditions and also uh, the agents backstage in particular like Lance Storm had just come back to the company closed down his wrestling school in Canada to come back as an agent and he was let go but it's also yeah. an, it's also an issue they had 20 agents backstage you got 20 agents backstage and you're on raw and even raw a 3 hour show how many matches do you think an average raw puts on six matches do you really need that many people so it, they they bloated their roster both on camera and off and i just hate that they d- determined this was a good idea you know this was the time to to cut them loose it just a really terrible thing to me um yeah the list is really long unfortunately um some i definitely see having a future other places some i don't which is even more upsetting uh but i think we're going to go through the list and also a couple of these people that were released no way jose and sarah logan they worked raw the Wednesday before they were fired. So they flew. No way Jose flew from Seattle, Washington to Orlando, which is already like a plane is a pretty dangerous place to be regardless of a pandemic because it's a plane. <laughs> but anyway, um, so you're in a plane, a very small, compact environment. And so you're with other people. And, and people aren't wearing face masks and stuff, so they risked their lives to get to Orlando to work raw, and then were fired two days later. Um, that's really cold to me. Um, yeah. Why do you pay for? Like, I love the Brooklyn Brawler, okay, and I understand he's like one of the greatest jobbers of all time, and that he was always on the roster. But why do you pay for somebody to just lose all the time? Like, no way, Jose. I can't ever tell you if I ever saw him win. I don't think I ever did. Why would you have someone like that on the roster instead of just doing what you usually do when you go to towns for TV and just pulling in local talent, and giving them five hundred bucks or whatever, and saying you're gonna just job to whoever? I mean, I guess the hope is that maybe we can turn them one day. Like, they get beaten, like a Zack Ryder, another release that we'll talk about. But 
you get beaten into the ground for years and years, so eventually the fans just start to like you. Is that the idea? Uh, yeah, so now we'll turn our attention to some of the releases. We'll start with uh, a non-wrestler, a uh, backstage uh, producer or agent, whatever you want to call them, Kurt Angle. So Hall of Famer Kurt Angle uh, was cut. Yes. Um, this, this is such bullshit because he just went in the Hall of Fame. You have him doing all kinds of stuff. That is one guy that you needed to keep. And that is one guy I believe is AEW bound in a matter of seconds. I don't know that he's going to go to another wrestling promotion, but of the releases, though, he's a guy that's made his money already. Uh, He can do appearances. He was pretty much retired. I mean, he went out with a loss to Baron Corbin. He was pretty much done as far as an on-screen character. I don't know why they took him off screen, really, other than to get rid of GMs because... We haven't had GMs now for a couple of years, but I, I thought he was okay in that role. I don't think he was great in this last role as GM, but when you cut someone like him, I kind of get it because I don't really worry about where his next paycheck's going to I don't worry. I don't, I don't have much guilt about cutting someone like Kurt Angle, a guy that's very wealthy and can easily, like you said, if he wants to go to AEW and do whatever, if he wants to be a commentator... They're gonna hire him if 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 he wants to do appearances and just sign autographs at conventions, the rest of his life he can do that. He's a made man, so that's one release that I I sort of understand. I guess is when you've reached a certain level and it's like it's not gonna really hurt him that much to get off the road and go do other things. One that I don't think was very public was a good friend of mine, Norman Smiley. Everybody remembers screaming Norman Smiley from WCW, who was uh, working at the training center in Orlando. He was let go. So uh, that's not one that has been very publicized. Oh, yeah. I, I hadn't seen that. So you're breaking some news to me. Yeah. So, yeah, he had been at the Performance Center for many years. The NXT and Performance Center releases, even the people that worked backstage, were not publicized by the company. For whatever reason, it's it's their policy not to announce those releases. So, those individuals have to say, I got fired. So, a lot of them, and I'm not, I don't watch NXT a lot, and I'm not familiar with the the farm system enough in in WWE to know some of the names that got cut. So when you said Norman Smiley, that's one that I know just from 20-year-old WCW. But uh, it's certainly, that's pretty shocking. But it does seem, there's been rumors online that a lot of the producers, agents, trainers, stuff like that are going to come back, that they're going to get rehired. But what was the point of firing them if you're just going to rehire them? Uh, So I don't put too much faith in that now before we started recording we both agreed that our number one prospect uh as far as talent that has potential as far as in-ring talent that has potential to go on to bigger and better things elsewhere was rusev rusev got cut he was not on wrestlemania his wife was he wasn't his wife is still on tv with bobby lashley but rusev had apparently had creative differences with the company had been off tv for a while 
ever since that disastrous angle with Bobby Lashley and his wife and uh, Lana and just uh, just a terrible, terrible mismanagement of his character. He had been with the company technically since uh, 2010. He was in FCW in 2010, so 10 years with the company altogether. Debuted on the main roster in 2014. Then, of course, I guess his peak moment, as I mentioned, WrestleMania 31, where he came out on a tank when he was a Russian for uh, a few months and lost to John Cena. But all the work he did after that, as far as Rusev Day, Aiden English... Uh, getting himself over, being on social media. And his entering work, he got better. He got more in shape. He was uh, not very lean when he was in that match with Cena. He was a little bulky and leaned up. I mean, he did everything right, and this company just never wanted to give him anything. And so uh, probably a mutually agreed-upon release where Rusev was like, fine. I'm out of here. I don't care. Definitely see him being the next on AEW. Uh, truthfully, 1,000%, because if they have a brain in their head, they're going to do what Eric Bischoff did with Brett and scrape him up as quick as possible, because that is a number one leading talent. Um, I can't say that for everyone that was let go, but that for sure is a number one leading talent that um, I think, like you said, it was his choice as much as anything, but still that's a big loss that I don't think WWE is going to realize until further down the road. They spent 10 years paying this guy. I mean, this was a guy that, that was there, so that it wasn't like he had allegiances to, you know, the indie scene or whatever. He was a system guy, the guy that they molded in their, what they wanted the wrestler to be and couldn't do anything with him, just couldn't figure it out. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be just fine. As far as Lana goes uh, in the in the company, now she's lost the Russian accent and stuff. I'm not, and she was terrible when she tried to wrestle. And Bobby Lashley, there's no chemistry between them. I don't know how much longer she's going to be in the company uh, based on what I've seen. So we'll have to see. CJ Perry has a lot left in her career, uh, whether it be wrestling or acting or modeling or whatever. We move on to Drake Maverick, or Rockstar Spud, as he was known in TNA, who is actually... He's still on television because he's in the NXT Cruiserweight title. And he, when he got released, uh, put out a video where I'm almost starting to wonder if this was just a work with him because he's still in the tournament. And I get that he was announced for this Cruiserweight title tournament before he was released, but they've incorporated it on TV. They've mentioned it. And... I don't know, it just seems weird to me to play up that this guy is going to get fired if he doesn't win the tournament. So why would you bring that up at all if it, if it wasn't an angle? <laughs> I don't see him going much higher than maybe Ring of Honor, maybe going back to Impact, um, but that's about it on my end for hopes of rock, talk, uh, rock star stuff. Then we move on to the club Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, who were brought in to the WWE 
in April of 2016. They got to bypass NXT, which I understand. <laughs> I understand because they're they're what the fuck was WWE thinking? <laughs> I well, I, I just they got to they. They're older guys, okay? I mean, Luke Gallows had been in the company before. I mean, Festus, I mean, he had history with the company, even though I've read articles where Vince didn't realize that that was Festus from back in the day. And uh, (laughs) these guys were coming from New Japan. They got hired around the same time as AJ Styles. So it's like, okay, AJ's going right to the main roster because we're not going to put, you know, one of the best wrestlers in the world in NXT, okay. But I really think an NXT run for Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows would have helped them tremendously as far as at least they would have had a memorable run. At least people could go back in their WWE career and say, man, these were some really good times for them. They had some good matches. Because bringing them up to the main roster, when you get to the main the tag team scene in WWE is everyone has to do comedy Everyone's a joke. Uh, tag titles are just shit. They're the, they're just the lowest of the low. But here you bring these two highly sought after free agents up, and their whole thing is being a part of the Bullet Club. And you bring them up with the same time as AJ Styles, and you don't put them together. Then you do put them together, and then you break them up. And then you say, okay, well, we'll bring the club, we'll bring Finn Balor up, and we'll put them with the club. Oh, we'll break them up again. And then at WrestleMania, even this past WrestleMania, WrestleMania 36, these guys are teaming with AJ Styles, basically, against The Undertaker and get buried in the boneyard. And that's their last appearance in WWE. Just what a waste of time and money for the WWE to invest in these guys. And when you bring guys like that up, it tells me that you want to do something with your tag division. You want to make it a serious thing that's one thing that AEW has done better than them AEW has not done better than the wwe with the women's division but as far as the tag division they've done tremendously better because they're not jokes not everyone's a joke and the club was not to be a joke but here they are coming on to a roster with people like the ascension and people like the colognes who also got released but uh just no competition for them it's like you have the New Day, but they're doing comedy too. Everybody, even the Se- even the Usos, even the Viking Raiders, doing comedy. There's nobody. The Revival wasn't doing comedy. They come to the main roster. They're doing Icy Hot on their asses. So this just wasn't going to work for Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows coming from New Japan where super serious, strong style, fighting, and then now you're comedy guys. And you're not even in the group that you're famous for. So, just a disaster from the start. Yeah, uh, but my buddy Luke, is uh, he's out on his yacht and he's enjoying some fishing right now. And I got a feeling that you will be seeing him and Carl in a very, very near future. I think Carl Anderson is a good enough wrestler where he could have had a singles run. We move on to Eric Young, another TNA alumni and dude, I love Eric and he's such a good friend of mine and a great wrestler. They just didn't know what the hell to do with him. Well, they're not good with they, they're not good with factions. They weren't good with the club and they weren't good with sanity. It seems like after 97 when it was gang rules and you have all these different factions, they've never been big on factions and so Eric Young put with sanity 
okay, it seems like Sanity's kind of cool. They get a good run in NXT. They come up to SmackDown, and then they disappear. <laughs> and without explanation, without reason. And Eric Young was at the point in his WWE career. Uh, they call, I mean, they call these wrestlers independent contractors. They were loaning him out to independent wrestling organizations. So uh, for them to cut him wasn't very surprising to me because he was working independence in Georgia and other places because that's how little they cared but he was still getting money from them so good for him but unfortunately outside of going back to impact i mean that would be my destination for him i guess because Um, unfortunately i think so uh he's a former champion so you'll see him on the indie scene i 1000 percent believe because uh i mean He's a great guy. I enjoy being in the ring with him. He's a good friend. He's a great worker. They just didn't know what the fuck to do with him. And that is another... They never let him speak either. One of his biggest assets. That's another major blow to them that I don't think they realize what they just lost. Another TNA alumni, as we... uh, It seems like a lot of them make up some of these releases was... EC3, Ethan Carter III, where he had actually been in the WWE as Derek Bateman uh, in FCW, but then went to TNA. He rebranded himself as the nephew of Dixie Carter, became EC3, went to TNA, had a good run in TNA, had a five-star match, a ladder, a six-man ladder match in NXT, came to the main roster, and of all the people that got called up to the main roster that I would have pegged for success... It'd be a guy like EC3, a big muscle-bound. This is Vince McMahon's fantasy. So I don't know what kind of issues he had backstage or what he did wrong, but he was doomed from the start. He was, it seems like from debuting, he was on main event within a matter of weeks. And then when you're on main event, you're forgotten about, and it's over. Yeah, my uh, my opinion on him is it high unfortunately and we're just gonna leave it at that we'll move on to kurt hawkins who um oh damn (laughs) who you said before we started recording that he was probably your least likely to (laughs) resurface anywhere ever again um which is which he's a good worker and i loved the losing gimmick i really did then they had to go and ruin it with him winning. Now, when I talked yeah. about employing a jobber, if a jobber's on a losing streak for a number of years, that's kind of cool, actually. I kind of like that, that maybe this is the one that he wins, but he never does. And, and and you really, you sit on it, I don't know, until, I don't know, he wins the Royal Rumble or some shit, like we always talk about with, like, gold dust. Like, exactly. But... For him, it was, okay, I'm going to lose for a couple of years. <laughs> I'm, well, and those, those promos to bring him back with, like, the Kurt Hawkins facts, and it was sort of like Chuck Norris on SmackDown, and, oh, man, they've got plans for him. Nope, no plans for him. He's just going to be a loser with a – he had a a stick with him, like a magician or whatever. I don't know what those things – he, like, a, had a magic wand at first. And then, um, yeah, he goes on a losing streak for a couple of years – Wins his match. Wins a match. I don't even remember when it happened uh, because that's how little it mattered. 
and then hooked back up with Zack Ryder, which Zack Ryder being teamed up with Mojo Rawley was probably relieved to finally have his friend back, Kurt Hawkins, and get away from Mojo. Have somebody that can actually work a match instead of just him carrying their ass. No no offense, Mojo, but you, you suck. Yeah, Mojo Raleigh, and he still has a job. He's probably one of the worst wrestlers I've ever seen, but he knows Rob Gronkowski, so his job is secure. Uh, we move on to Leo Rush. Leo Rush came up through the NXT developmental brand. He went on the main roster as Bobby Lashley's hype man, Lashley, Lashley, and then he went back to 205 Live. He didn't make a lot of friends when he came into NXT because he came in Right at the same time, Tennille Dashwood was getting fired, and she lost to Asuka, and he tweeted, like, oh, no one's ready for Asuka, including Tennille Dashwood, and so he got shit on right out of the gate, and uh, was actually is actually a good performer, but uh, a guy that I do think has a bit of an ego, but he is going to be able to continue Ooh, his career. A bit for sure. No, I even think uh, I think AEW would give him a look because really, if they introduce well, they're already introducing that TNT mid card title. But if they introduce a cruiserweight belt or a lightweight belt, I can definitely see them bringing him in because they already have a lot. A lot most of their roster qualifies for a lightweight belt. So yeah, I think because because of how good he is on the mic, I think that he'll be fine. We move on to Heath Slater, uh, the one-man band of the three-man band that doesn't have a job anymore. He has kids. He needs to pay for his kids. I know. The the company still fired him even though he got kids. And uh, so he debuted (laughs) in 2010. And so, yeah, another long-time employee, a guy that survived many rounds of cuts that I was like, why is he continuing to be on this roster? (laughs) Um, but at the same time his his friends uh, Jinder Mahal and uh, Drew McIntyre have gone on to great success after they got fired and bulked up and came back so maybe in a couple years Heath Slater will come back as some 350 pound beast with uh, giant traps and he'll end up being a champion but uh, I can I can see Heath Slater going to the NWA, a, a southern-sounding guy that's... I don't know. He just seems right for the NWA to me. Um, I see him, yes. That is... Yes, absolutely. I see him getting picked up for them immediately. Uh, we go to Aiden English, who was a member of another shitty tag team, the Vaude Villains. Uh, another comedy team that you brought in guys like the Revival and uh, the club to fight with. He became a singles wrestler who was awful as the opera singer. And then he was a manager for Rusev, which was a pretty good role for him. And then he was a commentator on 205 Live. He's, of course, the son-in-law of Eddie Guerrero's. He married Eddie Guerrero's daughter. So uh, Give it six months and he'll be right back. At the commentary table, like, nothing had happened. I actually, the few times I heard him on commentary, I enjoyed his work, and uh, I think that he's got a future there. As far as a wrestler, he does not look like a wrestler. He looks like a guy that's coming to fix your computer. So, uh, don't know about his wrestling future. Then we move on to Sarah Logan. Is married to one of the Viking Raiders, but, uh, of course, was part of the Riot Squad with Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan. 
and worked that raw, as I mentioned, uh, the Wednesday. She was fired on Wednesday, worked on Monday, and then they mentioned her multiple times on the Raw after that as Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan are now in a feud, and they kept bringing up Sarah Logan. So I almost think she might get called back. Um, but She's a good, solid worker. I definitely see her getting a call back. I think releasing a lot of these people was a mistake because they couldn't have been paying them much. I mean, how much do you think a Sarah Logan was e- or Naden English was even making? I mean, that's just the crazy part to me is this is a drop in a in the bucket for as far as like savings go. You know, um, you like someone like Rusev is probably a little pricier, but the rest of them, I mean, I just think you're not really saving that much, and also. If you're trying to build this women's roster and you're trying to expand past the four horsewomen, well, then you've got to you've got to get people going. Uh, uh, that was another thing at WrestleMania I really didn't like is that Charlotte and Becky and Bailey all won their match. You didn't put any other new women over at WrestleMania. So when are you going to do that? How long are you going to ride out the same group of female superstars? So she's on the roster, build her up. Uh, Then we move on to one of the most surprising releases, Mike Chioda, who had been with the company since 1989 and was the senior referee. So Patrick, even the referees were not spared. We got shit on, man. What the hell? Yeah, he was a referee that uh, had a wellness violation in the past. He's the only referee I know to have ever gotten popped for a wellness violation. But he he missed WrestleMania. He's actually out with an injury, so he got fired while he was injured, which is really shitty. Uh, he's a guy that, along with the producers and agents, he, he might be brought back for all I know, but he can certainly uh, end up in AEW or or. or impact or oh, somewhere else oh God, yeah. he, he'll he be picked up immediately absolutely yeah like i i don't ever remember really kyota botching any kind of counts or off the top no. of my head unlike someone like nick patrick who i could probably give you a list of all the times he fucked up so uh yeah mike kyota was a really good referee then we I know how much you love you some nick patrick so <sighs> yeah fuck that guy and then we move on to Primo and Epico Cologne, who, if you were, they probably were surprised they got fired. They probably didn't remember they were still hired. Uh, you hadn't seen them since 2019. Uh, they had a run as the Los Matadoras when they had those uh, bandana masks things. Then they came back as the Shining Stars. And then they just disappeared. And the last we heard of them was uh, one of them got suspended for a wellness violation because he didn't want to get on a plane and go take a drug test. And, yeah, so they had been gone for, I mean, they had been off TV for, it says their last match was in 2019. I don't know if that was a TV match because it feels like they've been gone a lot longer. So, uh, the end of the Colognes. They'll uh, they'll join up with Carlito and start working the indies. Then we move on to Eric Rowan, who, uh, along with Luke Harper, who had gotten released right before all this start. Well, Luke Harper requested his release. Now he's Brody Lee in AEW. So the entire Wyatt family, outside of Strowman and Bray, they're gone. So half the Wyatt family gone. He had gotten a push with uh, Daniel Bryan last year as uh, his muscle 
and then spent the last six months or so carrying around a cage with a fake spider in it. <laughs> Just, uh, but he is shit in the ring. Uh, for a big man, he is really <laughs> Eric Rowan is fucking awful. Uh, as far as big men in the ring go, like he's not great Kali level of bad, but he is a bad big man, and I'm sure he'll end up somewhere too. But uh, I'm shocked to hear you say that, sir. I, I just you're a big, big fan. Oh, he he stinks. He he really stinks. Mike and Maria Canellis, these these two really uh they built Vince out of money, which good for them because when they got signed, um they got signed. Uh Mike went to rehab and Maria got pregnant, so they spent about the first year of their contract not on doing anything and getting paid. Uh Mike comes back, wrestles a little while, then Maria comes back after maternity leave. Then she gets pregnant again, and then she's off TV. So she, uh, really, they came back in 2017. They got three years out of money from Vince for doing very, very little. And Mike Canellis was also a guy that, um, when the, when they were doing all this talent acquisition, uh, no one told Vince, no one really wants Mike Bennett, so don't hire him. And But just because he had a name somewhere... They because he had a name from Ring of Honor, they said, Okay, hire him. It was more for I think he was a package deal with Maria, but well, I mean, he's your old arch nemesis, you know. So. Uh, that's QT Marshall, who has been a big asset to AEW, uh Well because they've been they taped some of their matches from QT Marshall's gym. So QT Marshall really? Yeah, yeah. So some of those AEW dynamites I think have been coming from QT Marshall's gym. Him having a, a friendship with Cody Rhodes turned out to pay dividends for him because if you're in a wrestling ring with me, your career's probably near the end. Uh, but he happened to be friends with Cody Rhodes, and so QT Marshall continues to this day. <laughs> so, congrats. If you know the right, it's all about who you know, Patrick. Uh, then, we, then we move on to Zack Ryder, who uh, had a very up-and-down WWE career. Got himself over on YouTube, had the internet belt created for him, uh, went on, defended it at house shows, and they took it away for him, from him. They they buried him, then they brought him back. They gave him the big Intercontinental win at 31, and then nothing. And then they put him with Mojo, and then with Hawkins, and that's the end of that. So AEW bound, guaranteed, sign, still delivered. He has something to offer, but again, a guy that they, they're they not going to give the microphone to. The WWE would never give the microphone to. Then we go to No Way Jose, who uh, sucks and uh, always sucked and um, should have been fired years ago. Like I mentioned, uh, I don't need to go back to it, but at the start of our conversation, like, why would you imply? Why would you not employ? Because they're independent contractors, but have a guy that just loses every single time. What's the goal with that? Well, I mean, we did just say Kurt Hawkins. You know. oh, right? Yeah. Okay. So you give him a streak, but they—I did don't even think they gave him a streak. I think he probably had a roll-up win here and there, you know. So it's not like I don't know the conga line. It was just, and his name is No Way Jose. That is never. It's not going to work. I know I know one of the greatest superstars of all time was called The Rock, which sounds like a shitty name. Oh, you're you're a rock? I don't get it. But 
your name is No Way Jose. That's shit. It sucks that he worked raw before he got fired, but this guy's done. This guy's gonna be. Uh, this will this this will come back to bite me in the ass. He's gonna start the next AEW, but uh, he he's gonna he's gonna be working at Subway or something soon. He, he wow. does, I'm sorry. Damn. He just doesn't have anything. He just has nothing. There's nothing there. Damn. That wow. He's got Shit. cool hair. He's got cool hair, but that's it. Uh, then we get into some of the NXT releases. Cassius Ono or Chris Hero, uh, they never had much interest in Cassius Ono. He was mainly just putting over guys in NXT. And now, see, that's a, if you're a good worker and you're putting people over all the time, that's okay. I get that as a jobber, as a, like an employed jobber. But when you're just a bad wrestler and you're just losing, like No Way Jose... I guess that's what I don't understand. When you're not going 50-50 in the match, when you're just getting your ass kicked, that's what I don't understand. That'll wrap up the the major releases. Uh, Then we had uh, last week, uh, after that massive cut, I mean, there were some NXT releases too. Uh, People know them by now, Uh, but I don't want to get into those really. But then we get into uh, Curtis Axel. Uh, So... The genesis of McGillicuddy, Michael McGillicuddy, as he was known in NXT. The son of Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, who is almost the same age as Kurt Henning was when he passed away. I know, it's it, well, it's crazy to me to think about, like, because uh, Curtis Axel is 40, and Kurt Henning was 44 when he passed away. And it feels like Curtis Axel is still like a 20-year-old to me, I don't know. I thought of a perfect gimmick for him, a perfect, so he... Call him Mr. Imperfect, and everything he does is a botch, where he can't shoot a basketball, he stumbles out of the gate, he falls down, he fucks up his finisher. Mr. Imperfect, that's what I want for Curtis Axel. But uh, I sort of see Cody Rhodes having a soft spot for him as a uh, a third-generation guy in, in uh, Curtis Axel's case, so maybe he'll get some work somewhere down the road then we have another surprising cut in addition to mike Kyoto was of course gerald briscoe gerald briscoe one of the stooges one of the one of vince's boys now yeah helped him get the tbs saturday night time slot back in 1984 sold part his share of georgia championship wrestling with jack uh jack never went back to wrestling really after that and Gerald got him a job, which I thought was for life, but I guess nothing is guaranteed uh, in this day and age. So Gerald Briscoe, Pat Patterson still around, still on the payroll, but Gerald Briscoe uh, gone. So uh, really surprising uh, release there, but he might be back too. I, I don't know. In addition to all these releases, we had the terrible, uh, the the passing away of Howard Finkel at 69, uh, the WWE's first employee when Vince took over from his father. This was the first guy that he hired, was Howard Finkel, to be his announcer, and uh, was an outstanding announcer, a guy that was always willing to play along with whatever uh, they wanted to do with him, whether it was put a wig on him or... Uh, I was gonna say WrestleMania ten, they put a toupee on him. WrestleMania nine, they he was Finkus Maximus. I mean, just one of the uh, one of definitely one of the guys that everybody 
loved. I'm going to go on a limb and say he was the he's the Bobby Heenan of announcer. Yeah, and he could have had a career as a boxing announcer. He could have done. I mean, yeah. he was really good. A great, just a great voice, and always willing to play along. Like he was uh, Chris Jericho's lackey for a minute. He had he had a match with Lillian at one point. Uh, yeah, he, he had a couple of the uh, like tuxedo matches or whatever, and just all kinds of stuff. He was uh, he will definitely be missed for sure. Uh, we'll move on because uh, we're running out of time here. But we uh, had the WWE conference call where they had their quarterly earnings report. Turns out they did really good in quarter one. That's because. Most of quarter one this year was before the shit hit the fan with uh, the pandemic, and so they had a really good quarter one, but it turns out their video game from last year, 2K20, sucked, and it got canceled for this year, so 2K is releasing an arcade game, basically, uh, for the consoles called Battlegrounds, and it looks terrible to me, Patrick. I don't know about you, but I would... It looks enough. It looks very rough, um, but who knows? I mean, Becky Lynch on fire and The Rock feeding John Cena to an alligator is could be great great gaming down the road. We could be completely wrong. But well, and they all look like they all look like little people. They all look like celebrity deathmatch little claymation people. I don't I don't know <laughs> how I feel about this. I do love me some celebrity deathmatch though, so. Uh, we move on the uh, before all these uh, WWE news happened. Uh, a WWE related thing happened. The XFL they suspended their season at first. Then a couple weeks later they said they canceled their season. Then a couple weeks later they said they filed bankruptcy and uh, they owe a lot of people money. And uh, the company is reportedly up for sale. And Vince McMahon got sued by his CEO. Oliver Luck, who was brought in from the NCAA to, to lead this new XFL. Uh, the XFL, the whole uh, idea behind it was that Vince was, he knew going in, he was going to lose a lot of money the first two years. And then after those two-year TV deals where he wasn't really getting paid for, for TV, he was going to get a TV rights deal, because that's what happened with Raw and SmackDown. And this pandemic, I guess, scared him and said... Uh, we don't know when we're coming back, and the ratings they were they were getting like a million and a half. I think was the low. That's still pretty good for a, a sporting event that's in the afternoon. That also the XFL introduced a lot of, just like the original XFL introduced some good ideas this year. The kickoffs were really good. The running clock, the game was faster. The betting that was introduced, where they talked about the the over unders, uh, where they had an official in the booth where you could hear what was going on when they were talking about replays and stuff. That's all stuff that the NFL will likely never do, but if they did, we'll sit there and say, well, the XFL did that. I mean, that's where you got that idea because uh, those are just good ideas and thought it had a lot of potential. There were actually some good players in it, but uh, phoning it in, going to go ahead and fold after uh, about six games, five or six games, and uh, so the original XFL, 
by every metric in 2001 is actually a bigger success, or 2000, whenever it was, is a bigger success than this one. So that's really fucked up to think about, even though this one was a much better XFL than the original. But Vince McMahon really sucks at everything besides wrestling. And even wrestling, he's not that good at. He's actually sort of just lucky, is always my opinion of Vince. Is like He stumbled into the company because of his dad, and then he had good people around him that kept him going. And then anything else he's tried on his own, like the WBF, the XFL, the restaurant in New York, anything else has gone to shit. So Vince McMahon is a genius, but he's only a genius at one thing. So uh, stay out of football, Vince. Um, the pandemic also caused Titan Towers. We had talked about it a several months ago that they were going to move across the street in Stanford to a different building. Uh, they're going to stay in their uh, tower. Uh, they, they're going to stay in their building, so they're not going to move. Uh, that's put, been put on hold. And since they're staying there, they said, what the fuck? Let's just go ahead and do money in the bank in the building. So the ladder is on the top of the building. They've already taped the two ladder matches for the men and oh. women. This is Monday Night Raw promo video all over again. Yeah, it's something like that. I, I'm very curious. I'm sure there will be a great scene of the men or the women getting in the elevator and just standing in the elevator like awkwardly and riding up to wherever. And they've got... Well, that's, definitely, that's definitely a spot for um, our truth. I mean... There's so much creativity they can put into this match, so just like those cinematic matches from WrestleMania that I hope that they take their time and do it correctly. So, And since they've been shot already, they have they have a great production team, so I'm actually looking forward to watching those two Money in the Bank matches. The rest of the card from the... I assume they're doing those from the PC. I don't really care about that, but I do want to see them brawling through offices and... Uh, Going past Vince McMahon's Tyrannosaurus Rex skull and all that shit. It, somebody rip that shit down and just hit somebody over the head with it. That def- would be ultimate. Definitely. Uh, then we move on. The WWE, sure, they never stopped, but now we have some other sports coming back. UFC 249 is going to happen. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll be this Saturday. UFC 249, it's happening in Florida as Florida... Conveniently, uh, it was very strange, Patrick, that Linda McMahon's super PAC made a donation to the president, who's friends with the governor in Florida, who ruled the sports were essential and should go on in Florida. So everything can happen in Florida. And uh, so UFC is going to do a, a 249 pay-per-view in Florida. Also, Dana White bought an island so that his international fighters, he's going to have fighters on an island. He's a madman. He's... He's like Vince McMahon up a notch. He, only, he bought an island because it's easy to go ahead and put another Spike TV reality-based MMA show on an island and have him be stuck there, I guess, without food or water and <laughs> have to live like Survivor. It's actually like, so yeah, it's an even... Uh, scarier version of Survivor where you're on the island with MMA fighters that'll beat the shit out of you and eat you if they have to. And then we also... My turkey! Then we also have uh, NASCAR coming back. 
uh, to run Darlington twice and Charlotte twice, and then they don't know what they're doing after that. So uh, NASCAR, to me, another f- sport that really doesn't need the spectators. If you've ever watched a uh, a truck race or a uh, lower series race, whatever the Bush se- series is called now, they never have fans in the stands. So you don't really need it. They've been doing iRacing on the – they've been playing a video game, the Pro Invitational Series, the last few weeks. Honestly, I've enjoyed. I I've know, enjoyed yeah. In to the Hall of Fame, or the, like not Hall of Fame, but the uh, the vault type races from like '98 and '89, and a lot of these older style races uh, that they just pulled out of their ass out of the vault. Yeah, and it made me realize how much I loved NASCAR then as a kid growing up, and how shitty it is now as an adult because they fucked it all up. But still, it's uh, it's been entertaining. Yeah, they they they've cleaned up the sport so much to where it's no fun. Because yeah, that, I think the first week that all this was breaking out and then the networks didn't know what to do. One of the first things I saw on Fox was Richmond from like 1986 or something, and yeah, the the racers, you know, Daryl Waltrip and Dale Earnhardt, they'll beat the shit out of each other on the track. You know, they'll. I understand that there's danger. You know, they want they want to. It's all about safety and stuff too. But it also has there has to be some degree of fun. And NASCAR, uh, to me, they've just over the years have taken the fun out of it, year after year. So, uh, but it's coming back, so everyone can enjoy. Which. Really, like I said, it doesn't need fans. Everyone's in their cars. I think that's a pretty... It's strange to say, NASCAR is one of the safest things you can do in a pandemic, it seems like. So I know that there's like pit crew and stuff that need to be sort of close, but you know the cars and the drivers are pretty well secured. They're in their own pods. So we move on. The WWE ratings are down across the board. Raw did some of its lowest numbers ever. And I, I think that goes back to what you said about not having an audience there and how weird the shows are and how you don't want to be reminded. I, you know, that's part of it too. When I want to watch TV to escape the pandemic, I don't want to be reminded of the pandemic by seeing an empty arena. Yeah. And so. SmackDown is doing actually higher numbers than Raw, even though they're, I mean, that makes sense because they're in, Fox is in a lot more homes than USA. But in WWE's defense, at this time where there's 30 million people unemployed, there's people that don't know where their next source of income is going to come from. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are cutting cable, cutting the cord, and uh, saying, you know what, I'm just, this is, I'd rather, you know, eat than have cable so uh, i do think there's an explanation also but beyond the shows looking the way that they do then you reminded me that the wwe there's been rumors that vince is going to sell those rumors have been denied by the company but uh this has been something over the years where in conference calls vince when people ask when shareholders would ask vince uh, what do you think about selling the company? He's, uh, he'd always be like, we're open for business. So he's never ruled it out, but seems unlikely to me. Yeah, I don't know if old Vinnie Mac's going to sell or not. That would be a little odd to me. But, I mean, I would not put it past this man. He has done much more ridiculous things, such as the XFL. 
So um, who knows? To me, Vince selling, though, would be sort of, in his mind, not in my mind, but a a surrender, a white flag. And if this guy is willing to do TV through a pandemic and in front of empty arenas, <laughs> I don't think he's going to just give up on his company. This is a guy that's going to go down with the ship. Uh, this is a guy that doesn't give a fuck. Like, it's going to work, damn it. Yeah, and uh, it's a, it's a, it's personal with it's a piece of pride for him and uh it's not even about money or anything else it's like even if this company was losing billions of dollars or whatever he's gonna go down with the ship he's the he's the man on the titanic if it ever becomes the titanic it's not near the titanic it's a very healthy boat at this time uh one other release i glossed over before we get out of here the revival uh, about two weeks before that they cut people uh, the revival got out, and it's funny to me though because in that Edge documentary they put on the network, Dash Wilder is one of the main featured guys that got Edge, tr- helped him train, and brought him back, and all this stuff. And so he's like a main player. And then two weeks later, he's like, "Yeah, I, I want out. Thanks." Uh, his contract was up towards the end of April, and uh, Scott Dawson's was up pretty soon. So they just they went ahead and cut them both yeah for years now it's been free the revival go to AEW. so those guys are are a lock and i would love to see him paired up with arn anderson (laughs) oh god that was that's brilliant sir that is absolutely brilliant yeah because like i said they they didn't just like the club gallows and anderson they're they try to be serious like we saw them at that nxt house show against uh Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano and that was a great great match between that those two a, tag yeah. team match like I agree yeah that was just that one was a- that was one of the best shows I think I've ever been to honestly because of the venue that we were in in Nashville and the the the, clo- the closeness of it how hot the crowd was but that match I mean that wasn't even the main event the main event was like Balor and Joe I think if if I remember correctly and that tag match blew them out of the water. I mean, it wasn't even close. So, uh, yeah, yeah. the revival, just an awesome, awesome tag team. And, uh, they fucked up so bad, <laughs> fucked up so bad. How is this so hard, Patrick? How is this so hard? Well, I mean, it's difficult to know what the fans want and to listen and realize what good wrestling actually is. Yeah. It, there's something about tag teams that they just hate. And, that is very true. I don't know when it started exactly, but it's been going on for much of our lifetimes, really. And uh, finally, happy birthday to Dwayne Johnson. We're a couple of days behind by the time you're hearing this, but he is 48 years old, which... Yes, seemed, my buddy. Yeah, you're, you're a good friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you, you, and, you and Dwayne are out in Hollywood all the time. <laughs> we are. How do you know? No, not, uh, not really, but... Um, he did. He was just right down the road from me uh, down here in Cartersville. Uh, his family, We there's a little drive-through style zoo where you can get out and play with the animals and feed baby giraffes and that kind of shit. His family comes there quite often. It's um, been known around but never really publicized. But for the first time ever the other day, he came with them. And, you know, there's video 
footage out there of it and all that. And he came to celebrate his birthday. That is the reason he came was to have a family day to celebrate his birthday. So his mother and his daughter and his wife and everybody was there. And so I, that's really cool, man. That's, uh, that's really awesome. And so uh, happy birthday to the croc. Yeah. Uh, if you smell what he was cooking. I sat down and actually thought about it for a second. I've only seen three movies that The Rock is in. I know he's been in like 45 movies by now. But really? I, yeah, I've only seen three that he's in. I've seen The Scorpion King because that came out like, I mean, that was his first big film. I mean, he was in The Mummy Returns for a second, so that was like a cameo. But then he got his own spinoff in The Scorpion King, and that's still when I was into wrestling big time and video stores, so I like rented that. And then the next movie I saw him in was uh, the one of, like a couple years ago where there's a building on fire and he climbs it for two two hours. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. It's ridiculous. The premise of it, I was like, I have to watch this. I have to see this. <laughs> and uh, he has like one leg. This dude, Rock with one leg, crawls, climbs a building, jumps across a skyscraper that's on fire to save his family it's ridiculous and i loved every second of it and then i i saw the jumanji the first uh remake of not the sequel that just came out but uh so i've seen three i've only seen three rock films because man you're missing out i think i've seen almost every single one of them even the rundown and if anybody out there knows the rundown then let me tell you that's a real piece of cinema history right there well, today I was I was at, well. What brought that up is I was asking Brenton about walking tall because uh, I'm going to do another solo review before you and I get back together in honor of Cinco de Mayo coming up. I, I'm reviewing an episode of SmackDown from 2004 where JBL kicks Mexicans across the border. I thought that would be a very nice uh, Cinco de Mayo tie-in, uh, and but one of the sponsors of that show was Walking Tall. <laughs> And I've never seen that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, one, one of the most politically incorrect things. I know WWE had the Mexicools come out on lawnmowers or whatever. But, I mean, to have JBL say, here I am. Uh, I'm at the border. And here's a family coming over. And he just kicks the shit out of a Mexican dude and chases them. out, And that makes him the number one contender. It's not even just like, and Kurt Angle's like, proud of him for doing that it's like one of the most awful things uh i've i mean yeah so he won he won kurt angles like great american award for that so wow wow i need to i don't remember this i need to look Uh, it up april 8th 2004 and that that was like part of the lead into that match between i think it's the lead up to that match between jbl and eddie guerrero where eddie just bleeds all over i mean that's just a- oh, that, yes the uh four corners match where he beats the shit out of him yeah it was, and was just pouring blood so i saw that today so walking tall is walking tall any good that it was a sponsor of smackdown walking tall is one of my favorites of all time however I'm it's a, a remake so I'm a very proud Tennessean, and anybody who knows me knows <laughs> I Buford. I love Buford Pusser, and this has no premise to what Buford Pusser did. This is not in any way. They just took the name. This is not the same kind of movie whatsoever. 
they literally just took the name and that is the only connection to the original story. And, uh, but it is, Buford Puster was a real man. It is a true story. If you look at the original, uh, and go forward, he was an actual, uh, wrestler who got tired of wrestling and went home and to Memphis and or right outside Memphis anyway, and became, uh, a sheriff of the county and cleaned up basically the mob that was trying to take over the uh the entire southeast and this is true you can look it up and i love i mean i love the the original i love Buford Puster. if you look up there are actual this man was so tough that he actually stitched himself up and was awake during surgery uh, to remove his gallbladder and things like this. I mean, this man didn't be put to sleep or he was awake and helped the doctor stitch himself up. There's actual footage that went out into the Tennessee newspaper at that time of it happening. This man had been shot and I think he's been shot over a hundred times and lived. He, Buford Pusser, if you look up that story, the original, uh, it's it makes you proud to be from the, the great state of Tennessee. <laughs> and uh, and uh, as for the movie with The Rock, Walking Tall, has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It is just The Rock coming home from the Army to clean up a town full of a casino dealing drugs. So there you go. There you go. It is done, signed, sealed, delivered. I highly suggest you watch it, even though it has nothing to do with the original movie and the original premise of the story. It is extremely fucking entertaining, so definitely check that out. Okay, well, next week, Patrick, we will return to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, I can hopefully get a better way to get you on the air with me. Uh, I'll just have to, to work at it, but we are going to review that MSG show that we were supposed to review, uh, I think sometime in February, <laughs> back, uh, it was your pick the last time, uh, an MSG house show featuring a bunch of legends, so, uh, yeah, we're just going to have a, a sit down history lesson of professional wrestling. That's, that is it. Uh, one, it will be without a doubt, my favorite episode we will ever do. Uh, for you true wrestling fans, you will love it. For all of you who listen and don't give a shit about wrestling, you will absolutely hate it, just FYI. And there you go. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so we've spent two hours just doing news and just having a chat. but we got to catch up, man. It's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, so... so- That'll do it for this week. Head over to RetroWrestlingPodcast.com and head over to PowerSlam.tv. It's great quarantine filler. If you are stuck at home or out of a job or whatever, you can watch a bunch of wrestling on there. Uh, it's only like four ninety nine, but you can get a month for free by using the promo code RetroWrestling. Uh, but until then, uh, I'm Intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo.